Mike looks so kind in that video introducing me. But let me give you the backstory. He sends me a text about six months ago and he says, Hey, I have a great idea. You should preach at our church. I said, Absolutely not. I send back laughing emojis like, Absolutely not. Ha 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 ha. His response was, No, I'm serious. I send back more laughing emojis. Ha 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 ha. He says, Well, I have a better idea. I'll invite BB to do worship and you preach. Mike, I'm not a preacher. Well, here's the interesting thing. Mike's not here this morning. BB's not here this morning. <laughs> Good morning, Brentwood Baptist. He got me. He wanted me to talk a little bit about what does freedom in Jesus look like, which I thought was a very profound question. And when I think about freedom, it takes me to a lot of thoughts. In fact, this week, I would say my thoughts were all over the place. How do you simplify something that's so important to our country, to our world? This being 4th of July weekend, and we think about celebration of independence. We think about um, the love that we have for this country, country of the free and the brave. And then I started thinking about the freedom of little Lewis. This little 13-year-old freedom. How many 13-year-olds do we have in here? My man. <laughs> well, that was me at 13. You know, God talks about uh, he, will, he knows the number of hairs on your head. <laughs> I think he got tired of counting, and so he removed them. So he doesn't have that problem anymore. But that's an interesting time because I remember, I've always been a big idea guy, and there was this commercial that just come out from Crystal's Restaurant. You guys familiar with Crystal's? First group had never heard of it, so let me just show of hands. Familiar with nasty Crystal burgers, right? Okay. All right, so Crystal's had just come out with this campaign. I ate so many Crystal's once. Anybody remember that campaign? Well, my little brilliant idea, I thought, you know what, we can go challenge Crystal on their campaign. So I rallied up two of my buddies on our street. We rode our bikes for about 20 miles or so. We saved our money for several weeks cutting grass. And we get to Crystal's and we're going to reenact this whole commercial. How many Crystal's can you eat? So we pull out our change in exchange for probably 30 plus burgers. And if you've ever eaten Crystal's burgers, you know that's not a great idea. So we began to eat these burgers, and we're, ah, one down, two down. And before you know it, our little stomachs start to swell, and then we start to smell, and it was not a good experience. And then as we tried to ride our bikes back home in the heat of the day, we found ourselves throwing up as we were riding. It was just a terrible experience. But it was the freedom that we had as kids to dream and to think about things that appeared to be impossible, but yet possible, which is also very similar to our country. We have a country where things seem to be impossible, but then we find that they are possible. In 1920, I think, was the year that women were allowed to vote. Before that, it seemed to be impossible. In 1964, the Civil Rights Act was passed so that we could have days like we're having today 
where blacks and whites could congregate together in a country. That seemed impossible. Today it's possible. And then as I continue to think about this freedom, I started thinking about the freedom of living for God. What is possible with that? Well, my 13-year-old self didn't really know that because we went to churches. I went to a variety of churches. In fact, I went to a lot of churches. And I went to churches primarily because you would send buses to my neighborhood. And I would hop on that bus with one condition. We're going to eat afterwards. So I went to the Methodist because we went to Burger King. I went to Seventh-day Adventist because we went to somewhere. But it was always that condition. We ate. What I didn't know was God was feeding me beyond the food. And he was feeding me a meal that would extend for the balance of my life and change the trajectory of my life. Food that I could never get enough of. This morning I shared... um, off script, because that's how God does it. He hijacks me all the time, sets you up like Mike, gives you an audience to talk, and then he just changes the script. That's happening right now in real time, ladies and gentlemen. (laughs) What is he wanting me to say about the freedom of loving God? What does he want us to know about the privilege of serving God. You know, it's really interesting, and this was not planned, but the video that you shared about Nepal and having a Bible that someone could understand in their language was very much the same thing that happened to me. As a 20-something-year-old, I'd lived vicariously through Christian friends. I was an FCA, did all the church stuff, but I didn't know God. I didn't. And I got tired of living vicariously through my friends that could quote scripture. So one day I decided, I'm going to drive down to Lifeway, good old Lifeway. I'm going to buy me a Bible. I'm going to go home and read it. And guess what? I did. Two days later, I got in my old car and returned that Bible. Have you ever heard of anybody returning the Bible? I returned the Bible. The lady said, sir, what's the problem? I said, I don't understand it. All these these, thous, and those, none of this stuff makes sense to me. Do you have anything in common man's language? She said, oh, follow me, son. So this kind sales lady takes me around the corner, and she presents to me a Bible that has the living word on one side and the King James Version on the other. I said, that'll work. So I go home and I began to read it. And what I began to learn is that God really loved me. That the scripture says that he had a purpose and a plan for my life. And I thought, if this guy has a purpose and a plan for my life, then what is it? So I began to read it. But at the same time, ironically, I was a single guy and I was living in in, in, in a community that I had three sets of neighbors. To the left of me was an elderly white couple, then there was Lewis, and there was another elderly white couple, and then there was a gentleman on the end. And as I'm reading this, I'm thinking, God, this is good. I'm highlighting, 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 not knowing why am I highlighting certain scriptures. And then I get this call 
Hey, Lewis, from my neighbor here. I'm not feeling well. Do you mind running to Kroger's to get some Thoroughflu or something of that nature? I do it, come back, leave it at their door. About four hours later, I get the call. And the call is simply this. Hey, I need to talk to you. Sure, what do you want to talk about? Well, my husband doesn't like you. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> How does this go? Your husband doesn't know me. Yeah, but he doesn't like black people. He doesn't like people that drive foreign cars. He doesn't like gays. He doesn't like his kids. He doesn't, and she went down this long list. I said, this guy's very unhappy. And so for the next few weeks, I would just dive into this Bible, trying to figure out, God, you've got to have scripture for this because the word says, love thy neighbor as thyself. There's got to be something in here that I could grab and empower me to be able to have a conversation with him. Because I don't understand someone not liking you when they don't know you. Right? So as I'm digging, and this is the power of God, I'm digging and I'm digging and I'm digging for a solution. But God often does things that we are not prepared for. He convicts my heart. He says, Lewis, while you're digging, let me show you your heart. See, Lewis, you haven't spoken to the guy on the end since you've lived here. You never speak to him. In fact, you avoid him on purpose. You're not very kind. You don't know his name, but you judge him through your window when you look out in the parking lot. Like, ah, that's you, Lewis. And it hit me like a ton of bricks. So after several weeks, I gained this thing called courage. And I thought, I'm no different than he is to me. And why is this important, Brentwood? Because this is our culture. We judge people that we don't know. We judge and not love people through a process. We look. We assume, we judge, we move on. Well, as I began to evaluate my heart, the courageous thing was to go fix it. So I take this courageous steps down to his front door at the very end, and I knock on his door. And the conversation goes a little like this. Hey, um, I know we've never met. We've lived here for many years. I owe you an apology. And he's looking perplexed. For what? Well, because I've judged you. I've judged your behavior. I've never asked about you. Don't know anything about you. But I clearly have judged you. And I told him about the process and the exercise that I was going through trying to understand why this neighbor didn't like me. And he showed me you. And he showed me me. And so as I concluded with that exercise, I thought, Lord, that was powerful and profound. Now what do I do? I don't even think my wife knows this because this is before us. This is my lovely wife, by the way, sitting there looking like, honey, where are you going with this story? <laughs> <laughs> a 
But the powerful thing was this. Is this gentleman at the end had a green thumb. His flowers were impeccable. They were beautiful. So I came up with this brilliant idea that maybe we should plant flowers as neighbors. Get in the dirt a little bit. Get on our knees a little bit. And what I found is when you're on your knees and in the dirt, it's an equalizer. I found that there was something there that was so special that your judgmental behaviors go away because you're depending upon something. You're depending upon something to nurture and bring nutrients to that flower to grow. That's what our lives look like. We are dependent upon God nurturing our souls and nurturing our hearts. The reason I share this story is because this is a season that I believe love needs to be our greatest weapon. You can say that again if you like. <laughs> but it needs to be our greatest weapon. We've decided either side of the aisle, either side of the denomination, whatever it is, you feel this way, I feel this way, we do not talk. That's not the heart of God. God says to love thy neighbor. He doesn't say love the neighbor that you like, love the neighbor that looks like you, love the neighbor that thinks like you. He says love your neighbor. This is a bit of a full circle for me today because as a young kid, my father owned a construction company and he actually, we built the sidewalks on Franklin Road as a kid. I was 13 with that same afro, imagine that, <laughs> in the heat of the summer. And we would come out here to Brentwood, and I thought we were coming to Georgia because it felt so far away. <laughs> we lived in East Nashville, but it felt like forever to get here. But I remember thinking, this is extremely hard work. It's extremely hot. And where do these roads go? Where will they go someday? We built the curb and gutters and all that stuff for Fountainhead subdivision. I think it might have been the first subdivision at that time. And it was early because it was, you were watching architectural designs and industrial designs and electrical engineering, all these pieces come together to make what is called a community. Today, many of us live in these communities. Today, many of us choose to worship in these communities. But my question for us is, how many of us know our neighbors? How many of us have the courage to love our neighbors? We are a country of the free and the brave. But I also think we can be a country that loves one another. That may not be popular by most, but I think it's important to God. And I think God has made it very clear that love is everything. He's made that very clear. We look at prisoners, for example, and we judge them. We look at prisoners and we say, you know, this person made a mistake and they should probably never be given another chance. But I want to share a little bit about a prisoner that I think many of you know. He was a young attorney when he was arrested. He was incarcerated for 20 plus years. Um, 
Nelson Mandela. And the impact this prisoner had on our world, on this country, and our relational capital was significant. Why? Because Mandela chose to forgive. My wife and I went to Robben Island many, many years ago, and we stood in his cell. And it was a very small cell. And in fact, it was an interesting thing because they had the, the guards that would show you the cells were actually former inmates as well. And they would tell you about the horrific treatment that they received while incarcerated. But the thing I admire about this man, and have always admired about him, was his courage to not keep a scorecard, which is so much like God. He doesn't keep a scorecard when we fail. He doesn't keep a scorecard when we decide not to forgive. I always wondered, why did he say forgive seven times 70 in the course of a day? That's 490 times. That's a lot. And he never gives us assignments for things that we're not going to need to use. So as we think about this beautiful 4th of July weekend, let us think about how do we empower those that are lost, those that are suffering, those that are unseen and unheard, those that sit in close proximity to you, that you assume are doing just fine. But sometimes we're not just doing fine. Sometimes we're hurting. And this community is hurting. This community is hurting for a lot of reasons. And I'll give you a little insight to my own personal hurting for this week. I thought, what's the timing of God and Mike Glenn <laughs> to invite me to come and share when my heart is broken in half? We lost a very close friend on Tuesday night. I received a call that said he had left. He was no longer with us. And it's taken me every single day processing and processing and processing. How does this happen? How did this happen? Thinking about his family, thinking about his kids, and then thinking about this Sunday. It's like, God, I need a little space to get my thoughts together. I need a little space to to get present with you. And the beautiful thing I love about God is he already knew. He already knew that it would take courage to stand up this morning. He already knew that this audience would need to hear a reminder about his unconditional love for us. He already knew that we would need a little crash course on how to respond to the hurting versus ignoring them and shunning them off. My wife and I last night were at Bricktops and we were leaving the restaurant. And this lady approaches us and she's got a purse and she looks well-dressed and it's clearly something off. And she's saying, but I've been praying for an angel. I've been praying for an angel. I need something, I need something. She kept getting closer and I kept doing this. Now, I wasn't doing that because of her, of her position. I was doing that to make sure I could see what she had in her hand because it looked like she had a needle. I wasn't clear. So I didn't want to be in striking distance of a needle. But I also didn't want to be not obedient to the Holy Spirit. 
So I stood and we listened and we listened and we listened. And as she continued to share, the long and the short was she needed money. She needed $18 specific. I'm a guy that never carries cash. Never carries cash. But I had stopped two days ago to get some money. And I had $20 in my pocket. And I gave it to that lady. And she said, what's your name? What's your name? What's your name? I need to know your name. And I said, Lewis. And they told my wife's name. And then she rushes off into the dark. How many times do we entertain angels in our lives, guys? Because that angel doesn't look like the way we thought they should look. How many times does God send us those moments, those tests, those opportunities to to love our brother or our sister as ourselves? How often? I think it must be often because most teachers don't give tests when you pass the first time. They don't give a second test and a third test. They say, okay, he passed. We don't have to do that anymore. I want you to pull up that slide about this teacher that I have. This lady here, doesn't she look sweet? She wasn't. (laughs) She was not sweet at all, guys. I met Miss King in the seventh grade. I, didn't, I, I thought it was going to be World War III between the two of us because she was a lady that took no prisoners. Ms. King was also known as a sharpshooter, not with a gun, but with a stiletto. She would take her shoe off in our drama classes, and if you made a mistake, she would literally take it off and throw it at you. I thought Ms. King was absolutely crazy. And I would go home and I would complain to my mom all the time, and I'm going somewhere with this story. Because teachers are important. God is a teacher. And sometimes he sends us little ladies like Miss King to teach us too. But Miss King would challenge me and she would say, Lewis, you're gonna do great things. And I need you to listen to me. Well, I was a little taller than Miss King. And you know, if, well, I'm not going to say that to you, young man, because you're, you're good. <laughs> but I was one of those little kids, if I was just a little bit taller, especially with the afro, I was like, ah, I don't know, Miss King. I would challenge her a little bit. And I, I think I challenged her a lot, not a little bit. I was a straight-A student, but I was also a little bit of a, uh, a little hmm, trouble. So Miss King would say to me, son, I need you to learn how to communicate. I think God will use you if you learn to communicate. I'm going to put you in these plays. I'm going to put you on stages, and I'm going to prepare you. Well, for my community, that made no sense. I grew up in the hood. We're not learning to communicate. You were communicating by fighting and running and all these things, and that didn't seem appropriate. I want to tell you something, guys, that teachers come in the strangest sizes, and they prepare you for just what you need which is very similar to God. I think about Ms. King every time I'm given the privilege to speak because Ms. King now is in the Hall of Fame of Educators. She and I are still in communications with one another. 
She's one of the most important people to me, and I admire her. I thank her for her gift. But here's the challenge that I have for you. Her name is Geneva King, by the way. The challenge I have for you is who are you teaching? Who are you teaching to love God? Who are you modeling behavior that will empower others to love God and change this world? Brentwood, we have the ability to do that. We live in a community that has a lot of resources, a lot of influence. We're Music City USA, we're Healthcare USA, we're Entrepreneurship USA, we're everything USA. But are we loving Jesus in the USA? Let's think about that this weekend. How will we love Jesus as we wear our red, white, and blue, as we cook out with the burnt burgers? If you're me, they're really burnt. I don't even know how to use a grill, so I'm not going to fake it. <laughs> but how will we show love to our neighbors? Do yourselves a great favor and take the time to see past who they are and what is possible for them to become. It takes courage to stand up and speak. And it takes courage to sit down and listen. Thank you guys for listening this morning. Amen.